Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Uh, went from seeing you with hotel backgrounds to seeing you in person for, for a brief moment in time, and then now back to the hotel backgrounds. But it was great to see you last weekend. It was so nice to take a little break to celebrate you and Lauren, to enjoy your company, to see your dad, which was great. So always good to see him. <laughs> it was such a wonderful, pleasant evening, and I am so glad I got to be a part of it. So thank you for inviting me because I definitely needed the two-day break there in the middle of what I was doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it turned out to be a really, really fun time, and I, I was so glad so many people were able to make it, and Mina Kimes was able to make a meme out of it. So that, <laughs> that's a successful weekend right then and there. <laughs> so for people who don't know, there were goats at your wedding. There were two goats. Were. One of them yep. was six weeks old. So we're yeah. sitting there, and we walked over to the goats, and I was like, Mina, you should pick up the goat and do the Tom Brady picture, which I think she was already thinking, but I did oh, say yeah. it out loud. And... So she picked it up and obviously there were five good Mina faces in the process of her trying to hold the goat. And then Danny Kelly's partner, Skippy, held the goat and the goat was like so passive and docile and comfortable. And when it was in Mina's arms, it was scrambling for its life, which was absolutely amazing. I, I have two other friends that took pictures with the goat and they were the same thing. So calm. So just like, this is nice. And then, yep, it was the complete goat opposite. did not like and- Mina. And it wasn't like some wasteland that we got married at. Well, I mean, Nevada, Las Vegas, but it's just like that our setting and everything. But it was like, um, that was just one part of it. It used to be an art warehouse that we got married at. So it was kind of like a real funky setting where it had kind of the old kind of worn down kind of like uh city wear i guess and they had goats alpacas this artist is a century there were like alpacas there were several and there was a guy just doing art during the doing wedding art which was amazing uh, during my wedding and we bought we bought his work he he uh he upcharged us but it was good we got it <laughs> but uh it was it was a great setting and it was a lot of fun so i'm glad everyone was able to make it and get get some goat pictures out of it well, we're back to it now. Uh, I was in LA for a few days. You guys will hear. You already heard the Daniel Popper conversation on the show we did with Barnwell. We're going to have Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for us, does an amazing job covering the Rams for us a little bit later on the show. So please stick around. Check that out. I talked to one of the Rams assistants on defense, Gerald Evero, who's their passing game coordinator. We're going to save that for early next week because this show, we, already t- we talked to Jordan for a while. So we'll give you guys that. And I am... In Westfield, Indiana, just outside Colts training camp where I was today for the second time. And that leads us into what we're talking about today. I came back to Colts camp today because they were practicing with the Panthers. And obviously with those two teams, you have two franchises that bet big on new quarterbacks, on tarnished assets they thought they could refurbish. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. We are going to talk about the veteran quarterbacks in new places with a smattering of rookie talk at the end. Because (laughs) when these deals happened, 
I don't know how much we got to really dig into it. You know, we talked about the Stafford trade at length, but I don't think really got into a lot of the schematics associated with that fit. So I wanted to talk about that. But also, we didn't get to talk about how Darnold fits with the Panthers offense, how Carson Wentz fits with the Colts offense, because so many other things were going on. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do a real deep dive on how some of these new quarterbacks and new spots fit into the situations that they're walking into. And we're going to start with a man who is playing on the television just to my right over here. Actually, I think he's already out. I think Taylor Heineke is in. But that is Ryan <laughs> Fitzpatrick. Who, shameless plug, I've had Ryan Fitzpatrick on the brain here over the last week. I wrote a big story about Ryan Fitzpatrick on The Athletic that ran yesterday. If you guys have not gone and checked it out, I would sincerely appreciate that. I actually went to uh, Arizona last month and spent some time with him and his family at their home outside of Phoenix. I cannot describe to you what it is like to watch a man make breakfast for seven kids. That That is something that will stick with <laughs> me for the rest me, of my life. You had to message me about it randomly. You're like, you should have seen this breakfast that you just put together. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, they, so that if you guys haven't read the story, you should go check it out. But they, his, they bought the house in 2008, and they bought it because he had just gotten traded to the Bengals, and him and his wife were like, we need a place to live. And we can't be – when you're at the end of a, of a roster – you know this. Yeah. When you're at the end of a roster, when you're moving around a lot, your your family's just unsettled. Your life is unsettled. So mm-hmm. they bought this house in Arizona where he's from. And as his family grew and as his paychecks grew, the house also grew. It's like a huge addition onto it. And they redid the whole backyard. And they had this, he has a 48-inch restaurant-style griddle out in the it's back patio. And he's making like Jimmy Dean sausage patties and bacon and eggs and pancakes. And all seven kids are sitting at the counter and he's sliding the pancakes to his wife on plates and she's cutting them with the pizza cutter. It was one of the most impressive, synchronized, choreographed bits of cooking (laughs) you can possibly imagine. But we also talked a lot about football and I don't get into everything about that conversation here. But one thing I didn't really get to explore in the piece is how he fits with Washington's offense and Washington's plan. So the first thing I wanted to ask you, you know Fitz, obviously. You've watched him a million different times. You know North Turner's offense very well. You're very familiar with the basic principles of that offense. What aspects of the way that Scott Turner wants to call games and some of the route combinations that make up the core of that system do you think fit what Ryan Fitzpatrick likes to do? Bombs away, baby. That's, yes, sir. That's, Let's do that's it. what it is. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick with how uh, willing to attack, I would put it nicely, is uh, uh, we'll what, get into this because we do. talked yes. a lot about it. Yeah, but with with Fitzpatrick and what they have there with the, the North Turner offense, it, it's it's Eric Coyle. Like, I mean, that's kind of like the roots of it all, and just the verticality of that. And what we, um, if you've noticed on Twitter, it's a favorite Twitter play. But Y Cross is one of those that it comes from kind of the similar offense that what anything that you picture with anything vertical down the field, it's kind of be North Turner is going to run it. You're going to see big corners, big digs, big posts, just all this stuff with play action. But what Scott Turner has done is kind of modern tweaks with it more more motions some rpos with it like he even in carolina he was running rpos with glance routes with cam um you know before cam got hurt so we're going to see a little bit of that where fitzpatrick can you know operate quickly and get the ball in his hands but it's kind of nice with what washington's got because they got scary terry and uh our you know pod favorite diami brown who can attack vertically and get down uh down the field and those two guys are just and curtis samuel and Curtis Samuel operating in the middle and Logan Thomas, who's going to be a nice big target. And it's like, oh my God, if you picture all these North Turner offenses over the years, you can kind of 
you see the vision. <laughs> like you really see the vision. You got the two vertical outside threats, a guy and then two guys operate underneath in the tight end of the slot. And you got a bunch of pass catching backs, just like if you ever picture a Turner offense with the Chargers or anything of those sorts, you know, LT, Michael Turner, Sproles, any of those. If you have a pass catching back in this offense, he's gonna run, he's gonna pound Christian away McCaffrey. at choice. CMC, he's gonna pound away at choice. He is willing to run those types of plays. Fitzpatrick knows how to read that. It's 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 a great fit. I mean, it really is for it's I, I can see why you got excited a couple of weeks ago when you're talking about, hey, this offense that we should talk about a little bit more. Cause when you start piecing it together and it's like, wow, that actually could be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's like a lot of like you can really see the vision. I think that's the best way to put it. I don't know how efficient they're going to be, but I'm going to want to watch it. Yeah, that's what I can tell you right now. And I think that vertical aspect makes total sense. And we talked a lot about we talked a lot about a lot of stuff, but we talked about why he plays that way. And I think that it's a couple different reasons. He was telling me about how he loves throwing one on ones and 50 50 balls to guys because it's a way to cultivate confidence in your pass catchers. And it's a way to make them believe in themselves and with a young team, I thought that was so interesting. He was telling me stories about with Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki, how they were so beaten down when he got to when he got to Miami. Guys that had been high draft picks, but they've been terrible on offense. He was, he was like, they're wounded animals, is how he described it to me. And, and he legitimately would go work with Kosicki on the scout team. And George Gotti, who you know from your time at UCF, he was the tight ends coach on that team, and he was with Ryan in Houston. And he was like, you need to go work with Mike Kosicki. Like on scout team, when Josh Rosen was starting at that point, he's like, you need to throw every ball you can to Mike Kosicki to make him feel like, all right, I'm worth getting these targets. And it's so funny that that plays into why he plays like that. And he was telling me, he's like, I drives me crazy. This didn't get in the story and I was kind of bummed about it, but he's like, it drives <laughs> me fucking crazy. He was pounding the table watching these young quarterbacks who are going to throw a Hail Mary out of bounds or eat a sack or thinking about their stats in real time. He's like, I am going to play the game how I'm going to play the game. And he was very unapologetic about it. And in this offense, he gets to be apologetic about it. <laughs> it's great. It's- and the one thing he, he told me that I found so, so interesting is he said that he draws a line in the middle of his career and it was before he played in Houston and after. And he said, that's kind of when I started to learn how to play quarterback because in Chan's offense, in Chan Gailey's offense, where he played with in the Bills and the Jets. Mm-hmm. He had total freedom, and it's all this spread out, 10 personnel all the time, slinging around. Chan was like, you know, I don't really use a tight end. When I talked to Chan, I was like, yeah, I know, Chan. And I know you don't really use a tight end. (laughs) So in in that offense, he had almost total freedom. He was able to change routes. He was able to, you know, little hand signals to Brandon Marshall. They they really got to change a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage and got to play around with it. When he went to Houston, with Buffalo, they had two protections, two. 60 and 60 hot. Those were the protections. And when he would call a run play, it was just hand it off and pray. Oh in Houston, God. you control everything mm-hmm. because it's that Earhart Perkins Patriots-based system. So you're identifying the mic. You're calling out all the protections. You mm-hmm. can send your offensive line however you want to send them. There are a million different things to choose from. You get to pick the run play. You get to control the success of it. So he learned how to play quarterback in the NFL. With Chan, it was like this street ball type approach. Yeah. And then he felt like he really got a handle on who he wanted to be as a modern quarterback. So take that to right now. He still loves the autonomy within reason. And in this yeah. offense, he's going to get autonomy within reason. He yep. doesn't know Scott Turner at all. They had no connections, which for a veteran quarterback is strange. Is strange. <laughs> Typically, yeah. you want to go to a place where you know it. 
But what yep. Fitzpatrick told me is that the cool thing about this offense is he said it's the most expansive playbook he's ever worked with. And part of the reason for that is what we talked about before. This offense has been run with Philip Rivers and Cam Newton. I mean, yeah. it's it has had yeah. quarterbacks at every end of the spectrum in every different flavor you can have. So Fitzpatrick has enjoyed this process of kind of getting to pick all cart the things he likes and doesn't like because as the unquestioned starter, he gets to shape the offense around himself. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're going through. So that's kind of what the process has been like. He's like, I like this. I like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. I want to be able to change this at the line. And it does feel like he's going to be able to have that freedom which I think bodes well for the relationship that him and Scott Turner will eventually have. Yeah, it, it, a Turner offense is going to be, it's really what we think of like a traditional NFL offense, not West Coast, but like a real traditional drop back, seven step drop and all that. And and with wait, I, I, that's a great point that you brought up because even when we're looking at the offensive line, it's, it's okay. And I mean, it's pretty good. They got a couple nice pieces, but like at center, he's going to be able to know what's going on. Like, I mean, he, or, I'm sorry, with the center, with the protections and everything, he's going to know exactly what's going on. So that's going to be nice because they're going to let him kind of dictate those types of things. And also in the passing game wise, it's like, you're just pushing this ball down the field. Like in this type of offense, you're going to either kill a play. They'll probably go run pass kill based on the you know, single eye too high or certain types of looks or pass pass. And it's not going to be a ton of quick game. Like in this type of offense, and like you were saying, how it's kind of molded to who's run it, been in it over the years. Troy Aikman's been in this offense back in the 90s. I mean, it's like every possible type of guy that you can think of because it's kind of traditionally based and it's good sound concepts. It's It's run the ball. And there's no quick game. So all the pass concepts are vertical five and seven step. I mean, there is quick game, but it's a smattering as opposed to living in it. So it's like run the ball. And that's your, Just that's think your about quick those game. Taylor Heineke completions that we saw last year where it's those, Ooh. the dagger concepts all the way yep. back in. It's this slower developing stuff yep. that I think really does fit the aggressiveness level it's, that their quarterback is going to bring to the offense. It's what we call what we picture now play action concepts to be. It's that, but with drop back. I mean, that's what that's kind of how they get about it. They they yep. go about it. They're hit the same spots that those play action concepts do, but they do it with a traditional five or seven step drop back. That's kind of like a North Turner offense and, and just kind of like a, a nutshell right there. But I, I'm really excited to see it because you can just kind of see what you said. He's going to give 50 50 balls. He's got a couple of guys. They're going to be <laughs> they're going to go bombs away. I mean, just burning down the sidelines on these types of concepts. I mean, we saw DJ Moore in this offense a couple of years ago, just kind of catching stuff down the field, down the field, down the field. I think we're going to see more of that in Washington this year. It's interesting. You look at some of the numbers, despite the fact that he is kind of a YOLO player, which we know about Ryan Fitzpatrick, only 13% of his pressures last year were attributable to the quarterback, according to PFF. So even though he's pushing the ball down the field, he helps an offensive line because Mm -hmm. he gets rid of the ball so quickly. So that offensive line, I mean, if you have some concerns about what Leno looked like last year, what Sam Cosme, their right tackle, might look like as a rookie, I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick makes an offensive line look better, which is counterintuitive for somebody who likes to push the ball down the field. But he operates so quickly that I think that's going to be okay. It's going to lead to some interceptions, Mm -hmm. which inevitably it's going to with him, but I still think it's going to make for a very exciting brand of football. But if you're pushing down the field, those interceptions are fine. That's like overtime. Like that's, that's the, that's the risk reward of it. And that's why this type of offense, you don't live in quick games. So it's more explosiveness than efficiency. That's the trade off. And actually I think a lot of, football and a lot of modern offensive football is pushing that way anyway so this is just kind of old school that is the new school again (laughs) which that but in that vein 
that aligns that idea of explosiveness over efficiency mm-hmm. falls in line with this type of offense. Oh, yeah. If you're trying to hunt for the big plays, this offense is designed to hunt for big plays, which mm-hmm. I think is definitely something to watch here. All right. Let's get to our next quarterback on this list. Sam Darnold going to the Panthers this offseason. How do you feel about this? What is your what is the first thing you think about when you consider the Sam Darnold Carolina marriage? I don't know because it's like I I want to see I like I really the unknown because uh, not just with him but with Joe Brady because I don't know what to call what a Joe Brady offense looks like so it's like the unknown is what we're seeing here but I it's gonna be I think it's gonna be fun to watch <laughs> to be honest because I think they're gonna at least put some more guys are actually get schemed open and I, I'm just really curious it's funny that you say that my first line on here is just I'm so curious about this one because we have to remember too that Joe Brady was a Saints guy. And, and like, even though last year, there's a smattering the, that LSU concepts with four by one empty and, and a couple of RPOs in there. Um, there still was a ton of saints concepts, like, especially to Robbie Anderson in the slot, who was a revelation in the slot last year. Um, they're running drive stuff. They're running triple slants. They're running just like, just a lot of staples. And so often seeing Sam Darnold in that type of offense, I kind of want to see it because it's just sound concepts and actually a guy that knows how to teach them, it seems like. And then also on top of that, run some play action stuff with it because I, I know he's going to smatter that in as well as that he did it last year with Teddy Bridgewater. But now he's got a guy that's opposed to like Teddy's only going to throw it if it's wide open. Sam will actually kind of <laughs> hell or high water it a little bit. I mean, he locks in a little bit sometimes just because that's, I think, what he's been in, put into. Um, and now they got, a talent, they got a couple talented rookies. I'm just, I'm really curious to see what this is with this. I, I want to see what this offense looks like in 2021, a Joe Brady offense. And I just want to see what Sam Darnold, if he even is a salvageable, uh, you know, if you can salvage him his whole career as a quarterback. So I was in Carolina last week, and then I was with the Panthers today, and I talked to Matt Rule and then some other people there about why Why did you do this? Matt Rule was with his, some of the defensive staff, and they were watching a team play against the Jets, a defensive free agent play against the Jets. And they were in that room, and a couple of the guys were like, that guy's got some juice to him, huh? And they were watching Darnold. And it's easy to get entranced by the, the splash plays with him because yep. – they're impressive. He is a physically impressive quarterback. He, he is. can do some stuff. And so they were watching it, and they, he, they started to get intrigued about it. So Rule goes to the GM and it's like, all right, is this a possibility? Like, Could we do this? And they started talking about it. And so they started scouting him almost like a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at him for traits because he's still only 23 years old at this point, That's which is deal. crazy. Considering he's been a three-year starter in the league, but he's still really, really young. And what they saw was a guy with all of the traits and some bad habits, but not bad habits they thought were permanent. They -hmm. thought if we could point him in the right direction and get all these traits moving in the right direction, we we can work with this. So I think this is, above all else, a bet on Joe Brady. Because what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to say, here is a guy with all of this physical ability that's still very young. If we can just convince him to take what's there and we can communicate and articulate to him the motivation and thinking and reasoning behind every play and what we're trying to accomplish, we can kind of put the shackles on him in a way that works for us. And I think if you go back and you watch the the Panthers play even last year, they clearly have such an understanding of what they're trying to do on each play. The week five game against the Falcons is a perfect example to me, right? So there's a couple different plays that stand out. Remember that touchdown that DJ Moore scored on the little whip? 
Mm -hmm. where it was three receivers to one side, and then he was in a little nasty split to the left side, and he ran a whip against man coverage and took it 57 yards for a touchdown. There was another play in that game where they were in a three-by-one with Robbie Anderson on the backside, and they motioned Mike Davis to the three-by-one side and faked the screen and then threw a slant back to Robbie Anderson on the other side. These are easy choices for a quarterback. Easy. These are throws that you're defining to him, even if it's not play action. And I think that they do such a good job with formations, with motions, with just little tiny tells and indicators to give their quarterback an understanding of what he's trying, what he's seeing and what that means for the choices he's supposed to make on a given play. And when you watch them play with the Jets, it just didn't happen. It it just happened so rarely. You'd see them running like a vertical route straight into cover three and he's just staring down the outside receiver and then it breaks down he has to break the pocket and he's throwing the ball back across his body because he's trying to make a play and i think that's what they're trying to work out of him you don't have to score the 15 point play on every single play our talent here is so good and our scheme is so succinct and clear that just do what you need to do just play within yourself. And that may seem simple, but I really think that's what they're trying to convince him to do and trying to get him pointed in that direction. Well, it's just so funny what you said about traits because that's why I, I can't quit him either. Like I can't quit some quit Sam Darnold like as a as a player. Like all, everything you just said too is just like I was like, I'm already like half a foot out, out on him, and all of a sudden he just wrote me right back in. <laughs> because I watched it's just him like today. It's Even just, today. I, I was I, I it's intriguing he threw a corner out to Robbie Anderson that was beautiful he's got great rapport with Robbie Anderson so that's that's what's gonna be really fun and I think that they're gonna be able to use Robbie Anderson all the ways the Panthers used him last year instead of just the nonsense ways the Jets used yeah. him before and I, Outside I think only. it's even it's little stuff I think he, they do a good job of spreading things out and letting him see it but they also mm-hmm. use th- some creative some splits and alignment yes yep. they do a bunch of bunch yeah one thing I think, and I think they're so good at defining the picture for the quarterback with all the things that they do. And one thing I think they could really go to this year that I think is makes a lot of sense. So Dan Arnold's on this team, and they like him as their receiving tight end. So if he's the X to one side, and those three receivers are on the same side, mm-hmm. you can do some cool shit heat. with that. It is and th- those are just combinations of players and skill sets that were not available to Sam Darnold while he was playing with the Jets. And that's the thing is that's why it's exciting with him there. Or that's why I keep being curious about it. At least is that like, it's now it's actually concepts that are sound uh, and and dialing guys up because like with the Jets, we, we, you've touched on it too, is that like, you'd watch it. There'd be like no check down underneath a route or just like poorly designed stuff where it's like really hard place where it's like, you can tell where they're trying to get to the ball. But then it was like, if that was covered, there's no backup option. Or you could tell Darnold's like, oh, that's exactly shoot. right. And and Darnold, like why it'd be like, oh, I, I still see something with this guy because he was tough in the pocket, which is one, always great because of the size and athleticism. But also he was just, he has a like, great pocket movement. Like he just has natural feel He's in the pocket. He's a great athlete. He is a great super athlete. underrated athlete. He can create. He can create, yes. which is what you want in a quarterback. So I get, I get the bet. <laughs> you know, I really do. But here's what you have to rein in the, you have to rein in that mindset though yeah. with him a little bit. As soon as something's not there, pull it and go. Like yep. that, that is what they have to do. Don't sit there. Don't sit mm-hmm. there and pat the ball. Just pull it and go if it's not there. And I think that's what they're trying to teach him. One yeah. stat that jumped out to me that I thought was fascinating. Sam Darnold was sacked 35 times last season. That was the eighth most in the NFL. The, the protection has been a disaster. Oh, yeah. It was the worst offensive line in the league or one of the worst offensive lines in the league over the last two to three years. 
22 of those 35 sacks came against man coverage. Oh, get the open. highest number in the NFL by a, a, when you consider the total. So Carson Wentz had 21 against man coverage. We'll, we'll get to that. But he had 50 <laughs> sacks. Sam Darnold only had 35 sacks taken and 22 of them were against man coverage. The only one with a higher percentage of his sacks against man in the league was Ryan Tannehill. What that is telling you that guys are just not open. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's what that is. If guys yep. can't get open against man coverage, that's just a sign that your guys can't get open. And that's and not including all the ones that Darnold. That's not including the ones that Darnold scrambled on. Like, yes, he got down the field and like gained yards on. Like, because the best way to beat man sometimes is the quarterback scrambling. So <laughs> there might be a couple dozen of those that he like Wentz maybe not got didn't get out of, and that just speaks to Darnold as well. Yeah, it's just no, and that's what it looked like. It's one of those where numbers and eye test all everything matches up. With the, when we're talking about puzzle pieces, this is the negative puzzle pieces all aligning right here for how the Jets' offense looked the last couple of years, and that's again to Darnold's favor. <laughs> I do think so. I don't know how good he'll be, but I can understand the bet and I can understand the plan. There you and go. because yeah. if you're going to play a bunch of sticky man coverage against this team with these receivers, good luck to you. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how you that ends up going. It's I'm not going to go well. I'm curious how they use Tommy Tremble. That's I'm still that tight rookie tight end because. Uh, He's built just like how Thaddeus Moss was at LSU, Randy Moss's son. So it's like I, I, I picture it like if they wanted to do nothing but eleven personnel, he's almost like that hybrid tight end fullback. I'm curious, like if down the road, if he starts getting some time too, like that. I was so when you said Dan Arnold, I was like, dang it, I thought it was maybe Tommy Tremble got some a little bit of run out there. I think that Dan Arnold is they're using him a lot in like defined passing situations, but they don't Which really have sense. somebody that they like as a blocker. So yeah. if if, Tr- if Tremble can play that role at least a little bit, then I think that it just adds a little bit more versatility to your personnel, which is nice. So I, I, it's it's going to be really interesting. I, I again, I mean, his propensity for turning the ball over is is concerning. But Matt Rule said mm-hmm. that to me today. He's like, we, that's the thing that we just can't have. And even today, Matt Rule is pissed after practice today. Just pissed. He, he's like, guys are running terrible routes. Like our route depths are awful. Our details are all over the place. And he said, but Sam still didn't turn the ball over. He didn't turn the ball over one time today, even though we had a garbage practice. Thank and I think rattled. that's what they're trying to say. As long as the negative plays are only half a step back rather than two steps back like they were with the Jets, yes. I think they're really excited about what's coming next. Yep. Yes. Jabs instead of haymakers. Like you're just you're just getting pet. It's just like little negatives as opposed to just those ones that are like, all right, game's over. <laughs> Middle second quarter. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, let's get to our next guy here who was also on the field today, not playing, standing next to Frank Reich talking about whatever Sam Ellinger was doing, which, good Lord, 
<laughs> I didn't watch well, a lot how, of the Colts oh, offense yeah. today. I didn't because I was watching Darnold. Oh. I knew we were doing this, so I was watching Sam Darnold and the Panthers offense for most of the day. I will say the fact that Brian Burns and Zach Pascal were practicing against each other today. Huge day for the athletic football show. Huge day for was Naheem Hines out there? He is hurt. He got hurt oh, today that's, during practice. No. Well, I guess Which, it's still notable. I, I guess so. He, he got hurt today during practice, so he was just kind of oh, walking around as okay. everything was going on, which was kind okay. of a bummer. But that I don't know if that has been reported yet. But he got he was what, standing probably on the by tomorrow. Today during probably practice. by tomorrow yeah. will be good. So, but so Carson Wentz was standing there. But I think I don't know if he'll be ready for week one. Uh, talking to some people there today, it seems like that timeline is fairly optimistic. Uh, yeah, this is from a franchise so. that. This is from a franchise that wouldn't rule out Andrew Luck when he hadn't practiced four days before the season. He hadn't practiced in six months, and the six season opener was in three days, and they still didn't rule him out. So yeah, I, I wouldn't listen to yeah, I, I wouldn't listen to some people in the Colts building about how quickly their players will play. But even if it's a few weeks into the season, we're going to see Carson Wentz. So when you watched Carson Wentz last year, did you see somebody that was beyond repair, in your opinion? Did you see, or did you think that there are aspects of his game that, with Frank Reich and with this offense and with this infrastructure, he could be rehabilitated? You can still see the flashes. It's just the snowball effect of a season. You know, once you know that sinking feeling kind of creeps in as the season goes on, and then just so you have to focus on the first couple weeks when everything's still kind of sort of hunky dory. I watched (laughs) the Washington game from Week One again earlier today. Yeah, in a very competitive game, if I remember correctly. It was the weather crap or something like that. It was a Washington. competitive game. It, it was their offensive line was already hurt. Yeah, their offensive line was already. Right. He took like seven sacks in that game, and I was like, it was "Oh, a big what upset. kind of?" Yeah, I was like, "What kind of sacks were they? Like how?" And, and it was you just spin the wheel. There are ten reasons, and every single one of them got hit during that game. He took one on like a screen, like a tight end screen. I think he took one on yes. in that game. Yes. Yep. Yep. I remember well, that. That's yeah. the problem is, right? Yep. They screwed up a tight end screen where they didn't release right. So he got sacked. Somebody came in totally clean on a blitz and it was yep. just all these different things. So, and that's the story of Carson Wentz's season last year. Carson Wentz played miserably, but that wasn't the only problem. It, it's hard to separate some of their other issues from the issues that he ended up developing over the course of the year so i i'll i'm curious about your answer and then i'll tell you what frank reich told me today what would you do to get carson wentz back to the guy he was let's say even in 2019 what would your plan be for carson wentz hey get back to the basics hey we're gonna run like okay what what concepts are you comfortable with and i think he had a little too much say with that with the eagles um and but they also were just doing too much stuff it was was way too much stuff it was just i mean it wasn't fun last year to watch that team um but i i think with him is hey what concepts are you good at and i think with him he liked he liked high low stuff he likes reading either like a guy over the middle with over the top kind of like lamar jackson actually a little bit Mm -hmm. kind of high lows over the middle and on the outside kind of classic smash concepts that's what he likes and also kind of like uh he has to see it on the outside i think i think that's the thing with wentz is he sometimes doesn't trust those throws to maybe get it out maybe that split second that some guys get it it's okay because he has the arm and big toughness that's also leaves to some some blows a little bit but also don't be a hero i mean just if you're just making it simple on Wentz, it's just like throw the ball away. Hey, check it down. Hey, we need a run game as well, which I think they will have. And it's those little things is what would help Wentz more than anything. It's like, hey, you don't have to be the guy. 
But I, that's how I think you have to calm Wentz down to get him to be anything more. You have to just take away some of that pressure that he puts on himself because it looks like he tries to do the perfect thing every single time or he tries to make the hero throw. It's like sometimes you just don't have to be a hero. Just take the small gain, take, take the check down, just those little things. And so concepts that almost force the check down on him, almost touchdown, check down, touchdown, check down. So you're kind of you still get that aggressiveness in him. But then check it down. If he doesn't check it down, it's like, hey, that that's this is what we're teaching here. We're going to give you protection so you don't have to keep clutching the ball. I want to hear what Frank Reich said. Why are you smiling? <laughs> so so I'm so it's so interesting that you say that because when I was watching them today, it was so interesting to me to watch how they tried to solve some of the problems last year. They went to a lot of quick game, and then when everything was swallowed up, he had nothing to do. He just it's three it's three step, and yeah. the, and the offensive line is blocking for three step, yep. and no one's open. So yep. he's just sitting there holding the ball and because no one is open. So when you're running like stick or like little tiny things where the yep. ball is supposed to come out of your hands and no one's open, what are you supposed to do? Yep. And that was consistently a problem. So they're trying to solve a problem by getting the ball out of his hands quickly. But because the play is designed to get his ball, the ball out quickly and no one's open, then everything falls to shit. Is that so the having those more, it's, it was so interesting to watch that. Yep. So now trying to do a little bit where touchdown check down touchdown check down you're not trying to get the ball out of your hands quickly but you have an outlet i think that makes a ton of sense yeah so in terms of the plan for him and then i want to get to some of the specific schematics as well but in terms of the plan for him frank reich told me that it was from the ground up to break him down they said that when he said this it was it was was funny He, he said when you have a guy who has a bad year they'll they're ready to listen yeah. And they were ready to kind of go back to the drawing board. So if you look at, you can see it on tape. It's really, really cool. Like watching it after having this conversation. If you watch some of the way he stood in the pocket, his base is super, super wide. Mm-hmm. He gets to his drop and he's hitching at the back of his drop. And that's a problem. Rake said, he, has that elbow, he has that elbow flare. And so the, that, yeah. they said that the upper body mechanics are not a concern. Right, right, because like yeah, it's that I'm not worried about, but the base is so wide mm-hmm. that you can't make second reaction plays. You can't move. You can't if one thing's all, not open, it's hard to transition to something yep. else. Get out of whack, so especially be, quick game. <laughs> yes. So yeah. he's like, you want to be a boxer. You want to be like have that yes. stance, and he was just so wide that he couldn't do that. So what they've tried to do is they've tried to make sure, and this may seem simple, but it's coached different ways. There are some teams that they want the quarterbacks to get his drop quickly so he can see things. The Colts are trying to teach once again, have the timing of your drop match up with the timing of the routes so you yeah. don't have to hitch at all. They don't want him standing in the pocket whatsoever because they don't want that base to get wide and make him yep. a statue and not be able to react to things. So they're, they really drill down on, all right, if it's a three-step drop, how comfortable what are where are you most comfortable in how long those steps are how long it takes you to do it let's time the concepts up with that so you're not hitching at all when you get back there that's really what they've done that has been the key part of them trying to fix him quote unquote it has nothing to do with upper body or throwing mechanics it's all how his feet are matching up with the way routes are unfolding so he's never sitting there holding the ball when if he doesn't need to be that which makes, i thought I mean, was makes- really interesting Makes all the sense. All the best coaches, quarterback coaches ever been around. It's all about mental and footwork. It's never fixing mechanics, fixing this, hold uh, maybe some hold the ball stuff, but it's all footwork and mechanics. And that's where you usually see a guy take a leap is with that. I mean, those are all such, I mean, that, it's so nice to hear that, like a boxer. Like these are all coaching points I've heard over the years. So it's like, oh, that was cool to hear again. Like, like a little boxer. That's exactly what it is because 
every time you're getting ready to throw, that's like throwing a punch, like just throwing a yep. throwing across. Yep. Same same exact motion, like check swinging. Same exact motion that you're using. And uh, a Paul, one of my favorite Paul Christisms is he said he would always say, is, "Let your feet tell you when you're late," because a lot yeah. it wasn't just the timing, but as a quarterback, you can feel yourself. You can feel when you're like, "Oh, that feels off." Uh, like it's not a guy covered. It's could you like, feel it watching him last year? You could just and you feel, feel it when you watched him move. You feel that clench, right? That little, yes. and then that's that means oh shoot, <laughs> that means I I'm I'm off one and my feet are out of whack and I can't throw two or three and then now I have to create and this is a play I'm not supposed to be creating on. <laughs> like that's you see that a lot of times with cues when they're like oh they just that's why the best ones it's so much fun to watch because it's always like. They have a plan on top of a plan on top of a plan. They just react and react and react, and they never get out of whack. It seems like you know. Also, some guys are just freaks like Mahomes, <laughs> so that doesn't count as well. But it's just yeah, let your feet tell you when you're late, and I think that's that just makes so much sense because especially those quick game concepts, his feet were so noisy, and, and that your foot. Like if you have choppy feet, like if you picture Manning always doing the little chop, 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 chop. That some guys I, I actually been around taught, didn't want to teach that because it, if you're not taught as well as Peyton Manning is or as a hard of a worker, is you can get your foot off the ground and it'll make you that split second late on a throw. And that's yeah. how much that matters. Getting your feet in a balanced athletic position matters so much. These are like, these are just core co- coaching concepts for quarterbacks. So that makes sense that they're breaking them back down, that they're teaching them probably like the number one thing. Hey, let's get your feet back in line. Let's stop getting them out of whack and let yourself actually be able, if you do want to attack somewhere else, you can attack it as opposed to That's exactly right. You can't redirect. You can't redirect. Yes. You can't can't turn your body and physically you can't redirect your feet. You can't avoid a rusher. You're, You're stationary. So you're taking away his greatest strength in some ways as a quarterback, which is his subtle mobility and his ability to throw the ball down the field on yep. those second reaction plays when they come open. So yep. he you just make him you make him so mortal by putting that having those feet be so wide and have him be sitting in the that's pocket. Good way to put it. And I think yep. that's what they've tried to teach him. They they've tried to teach that out of him and coach that out of him. How do you that's think some of the mesh stuff? I I asked Frank Reich about this today. How do you think some of the mesh stuff and that being such a foundation of what they do? plays into a quarterback being on time because to me it feels like a very defined set of things that you're watching and it gives you answers in a very defined way maybe i'm overstating that well i'm I'm curious if they run mesh as much with with uh without rivers because rivers was just is the best crosser thrower of all time so i'm just i i'm sure they still will run it of course because obviously it works so well for them mesh is a play we talked about when we broke it down the last year was it's a play that if you get the reps on it it you need to put it's all or nothing. You can't just run it once in a while. It has to be one of your core concepts, or you barely, or you don't run it all. Maybe once in a red zone. I think with Wentz, he might read those hot throws a little bit more. You can tag like an out route to the field, or you can hit a dig on it. Like I think he's going to hit more. Like that's what he's going to go to. Rivers looked like he was just reading both crossers and would hit one of the crossers. Like that's well, what that's kind of what I mean. The dig coming yeah. behind it, the corner off of it, those that's what types I think. of throws. Yep. I think are are more available to him because his arm is so good. Yes, and he's willing to do it. Like he's he he. It doesn't have to be the perfect look for him, which for better or for worse. But that's what I think. If they do run that, if they I I think they will because it is just it's a five step concept, so it's not quick game. And it, actually, some places teach a seven step, 
And on top of that, it's one of their core concepts. All their guys have such a good feel for it. I was actually just watching their game against the Bengals. Actually, and they, I, I honestly think they ran it 12 times. <laughs> and that wasn't even like officially counting. They asked <laughs> and so many different versions. So I was like, oh my God, it's almost like, and that was week six or seven or eight, somewhere around there. It's like, it's just like a joke, but it's a good concept. But I, I, I think because they run it so much, Wentz will get a good feel for it. For, but for him, what he's comfortable in the read will probably just be first crosser going to the field to dig. I, I think that's what Wentz's read would be as opposed to Rivers going crosser to crosser, which he would just brilliantly do time in, time out. All right. Let's get to one. I think that you and I both thought a lot about. Let's actually talk about it. How Matthew Stafford fits with this version of the Rams offense. And I say that because I want to talk about where this offense can go because of Matthew Stafford. But as you've been thinking about how Stafford fits with the Rams and what they want to do, what to you is the most appealing part of that marriage? Finally, attacking downfield and at, yeah. and that intermediate to downfield, I would say consistently. I think that's the word I, uh, I would like to use there because I've seen Goff do it. I mean, 2018, like he, you've seen him attack downfield and maybe these additions of Deshaun Jackson and probably Tutu Atwell as the season goes on, he gets healthier, maybe puts on five to seven pounds. <laughs> um, but like that, uh, he that, walked past me the other day. It was, <laughs> it's unbelievable that he's an NFL player. It's like, unbelievable. It's like when I saw Dante Hall as a kid and I was like, how, how are you an NFL football player? <laughs> <laughs> like you just don't you don't believe it when you're that okay but anyways but with those guys but Tutu Atwell for those who don't know it's a rookie receiver out of Louisville and he can take the top off of defense and Stafford is a guy that is willing to go bombs away so I you can see what he unlocks in that offense they attack the intermediate parts of the field really really well with their play action game their boot game even their drop back game they do run stick about five million times but they I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> They'll run the benders areas. They they do that they will run in practice. Like, I mean, that they they run it all day long. Because uh, but anything, Stafford can attack those areas that I think that maybe have been missing. Like, because Goff would do it once or twice, you know, but it wasn't anytime they run those concepts, Goff is like, uh, I haven't hit it in a while. Stafford's gonna attack those kind of intermediate seam areas over and over and over and over. Uh it's just it's gonna be really fun to watch. I think that's why there's a lot of excitement with Stafford in LA right now. So Stafford averaged nine air yards per attempt last year. I think it was the sixth highest rate in the NFL. Golf was at six point five. It was the fourth lowest rate in the NFL. Do you want to know yeah. the guys who averaged fewer attempted air yards per pass than Jared Goff in last in the NFL last season? Who you got? Drew Brees, Jimmy Garoppolo, Alex Smith. Only guy. Oh only no. Guy. That's oh, the list. No. That is the list. End of list. So oh. you have two guys stylistically that, and not even stylistically, in terms of mindset and approach that are extremely different. The other thing to me, I went back and I watched some Stafford throws today, and week one, there was the second completion he had all season uh, out of the shotgun, which is the throws that I was watching, and I'll tell you why in a second. He It's third and 17. The Bears are in quarters. Danny Amendola runs up the right seam and sits right at the sticks. And Danny Trevathan was kind of right there. And Eddie Jackson was bailed out a little bit because he didn't want to get beat down the field. You have a linebacker, you have Ando Amadol just behind him, and then you have a safety just behind that. It's a tight window. Bilal Nichols beats the left guard, so Matthew Stafford has to slide to his right, step back up to his left, and then throw back across his body to Amendola in a tight window, whizzing it past the linebacker's ear. He completed it for an 18-yard game. Yeah. Jared Goff has never done that. 
in his entire life. And that nope. is not an indictment of Jared Goff. Jared Goff is a robotic thrower. Jared yep. Goff needs things defined for him. He, it, yep. Matthew Stafford is not Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or these uber athletes. But his ability to give you something, to get you a bucket, like we've talked about. Yep. Create a throw. It. He's creating a throw. He can create a throw. Yes. And I think that is, it's the key distinction. And I think Matthew Stafford is going to be good at the boot stuff and the play action yeah. stuff and everything that we've seen from the Rams. We know that, right? The He was very good with Daryl Bevel running some defined vertical play action throws. He he has the skill set to do that. To me, it's the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Rams were 95% pass out of play action, out of shotgun last year? I believe it. I actually 90, believe that. 95% by far. Is that far, a tell? Is that a tell? <laughs> by far the highest rate in the league. Because Goff, they they wouldn't run the ball out of it. And mm-hmm. he needs to see it when it's not play action. So they would run yep. tons of empty and that's in tons of shotgun. Yep. Goff was, uh, this is, these are very fun stats. Goff had a, a threw for a first down on 32.9% of his shotgun attempts last year. It was 28th okay. in the NFL. The only guys that were less were Drew Locke, both the Washington quarterbacks, Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, and Sam Darnold. That's it. Oh, no. Okay. Not good, Bob. Matthew oh. Stafford threw, a fir- threw for a first down on 39.6% of his shotgun attempts last year. It was his sixth highest mark in the league. He was also sixth in yards per attempt on play- out, of, out of the shotgun. He was also third in air yards per attempt out of the shotgun. Think about what they can do with their shotgun passing game now and what they can do with Matthew Stafford's ability to attack different areas of the field. I think you're going to see this offense way more spread out. I think some of those tight-to-the-ball formations that they were running play into the hands of some of these two high defenses that they've played against all the time. I think they're going to spread those guys out, and I think they're going to attack down the field in ways that they absolutely couldn't when Jared Goff was the quarterback. So we, we talk about and think about all the play-action stuff, but I think it's the non-play-action elements of this, the true just sling-it-around passing game that's going to look drastically different with Matthew Stafford. That's what thought the trade was about. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was the, you know, creating the throw and actually being able to, oh, my God, we don't have to dial it up perfect for Jared. Like That's yes. what I thought this trade was about. It was like, oh, man, we maxed this out. Like, And we've talked about this on this pod a few times. Is I feel like McVeigh was just like, I maxed this shit out, man. This is this Just is taking away as much as you can from him, taking yeah. as much as you can off of him systematically and yes. just over and over and over again. Now you no don't throw, have to do that anymore. No throw creation, just one and done reads. And, and that's fine. You can win that way. It's just hard. <laughs> it's hard if you don't have a lot of... And also, guys, I love Cooper Cup. I love Robert Woods. They're not yard creators after the catch. So it's a lot of... It was a lot of third and six, gained six yards. Third and four, gained four yards. It was a lot of first and 10, gained six yards. There was not a lot of explosive plays. And that's what I think they just cranked it all the way up to 11. I think that's a great point. When I think the most explosive pass concept they could run, drop back, was stick nod, which is, you know, pump pump the sticks and they just hit up that seam because Goff, that's one thing Goff really does pretty well is throw seam balls a little late usually. But it was like that was all they could do. You could tell sometimes McVay is like, I got to dial up stick pump again. Cause even like gets the Packers in the playoffs, I think he ran it like three times. Cause he was like, I got nothing else. They, they I remember they ran it on the first drive. I think Yeah, and it was good. It was fine. But it was like the second time they ran it all of a sudden, I think golf had to like double clutch it. And it's like, cause that's all they got. That's all they had for dropback game was that they weren't going to run verts. That wasn't that type of offense. It is a traditional West coast, you know, Shanahan offense as far as some of the passing concepts. So I think some of those third down plays now 
Like I, I completely agree. That's why that's why you trade for Stafford is because he can do that shit like very well with a lot of different offensive coordinators, a lot of different concepts. So you're gonna get, start getting into that realm where McVay is dialing up guys one after another, one after another. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, like winning these one on ones out of bunch formations. You know, it might be empty bunch. It's gonna be really cool. And I but. Completely agree. That's why you trade for Stafford is to create those throws on every down, first, second, third, or fourth. Matthew Stafford isn't an explosive athlete, but he's twitchy. That's why he yeah. he's the number one pick. He's twitchy. Do you know how many play action throws the Rams ran out of shotgun last year? Play action throws. Play act play action dropbacks Three. Out of shotgun last year. Two. Three. Two. Dang it. Two. <laughs> Two. Two. The entire season. Because Were they both Jared with Walford. Goff- were they both with Wolford? They too? might have been. No, no, it was Goff. It was Goff. Goff oh, okay. had two. Goff had two all okay. season. Because Dang. if you think about the movements necessary within that, you have to be a twitchy athlete. To mm-hmm. you're turning around, you're getting back. It's Open not up your like hips. yep. It's it's not like play action under center where you're creating space for yourself and you're giving yourself Correct. time. It's it's a fast twitch movement. I think the amount of shotgun runs that they'll be able to use because Stafford is there and the amount of shotgun out of play action that you can tie to your runs then it, it just the playbook opens up in 10 different ways mm-hmm. and, and I, I'm so excited to see what it looks like because I, I really do think it's going to be a vastly different sort of offensive approach than the one that we've seen not vastly different just more varied we're going to see more stuff I think it's just even the stuff, like you said, the, the playbook expands, but then just even though their core concepts that they love, now it's like, okay, now every throw is live as opposed to like, all right, Jared just looks this one. Now Stafford's like, hey, one through five on this play, let's go. Like all five eligibles are live, including the alert on that poster out or or the over route. You know, we're not just checking it down into the flat over and over and over or the amount of sack. grass available to them. Is yep. just so so much different, and then you add Deshaun Jackson into the mix. I think he's going to be a big part of what they do. It just it, it, the dynamic is the word I keep going back to. It's such a more dynamic offense. It's be a lot of fun. Speaking of dynamic offense, let's get to Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I am not making fun of Jared Goff. I I think with this, it's a mystery to me on a couple yeah. different levels. I don't know what they want to do. I don't know what Anthony Lynn's going to be as a play caller. We don't have this huge track record of Anthony Lynn as an offensive play caller. Like he was with Philip Rivers. <laughs> The last several years, out before Justin Herbert, the Chargers' offense was just Philip Rivers. Yeah, like, that was the scheme. It was whatever yeah. Philip Rivers wanted to do. And now you have him stepping into this role with Goff. My hunch is that it's just going to be a ton of running the ball mm-hmm. with DeAndre Swift, a really good offensive line, and Jamal Williams, who's another just very useful downhill yeah. running back, yep. and play action off of that. I I don't know what else to say about what they might do or what they might look like. I don't have a sense for that. I, I, the only thing I could look at is when Lynn was with Buffalo and they just ran the shit. And that was a Greg Roman offense though. And they just ran the shit out of boots. They would tie out Taylor. <laughs> there was just boots left and right. And that makes so much sense. Like you just said, run game with a good offensive line, actually a good, good offensive line. It looks like. And, and honestly, even like, you know, the, the jokes with Dan Campbell and everything, it's like they're trying to build something there, at least culture wise. And I've talked about it once or twice before. It's like I, I could see what they're doing. Even the receivers they draft, Amon Ross St. Brown, the undrafted guys they went after in undrafted free agency, it was a bunch of big physical guys that were all plus yeah. blockers. So it's like they have a type. And even the guy that's 
you don't want him to be your number one receiver, but I do think he's going to have a nice, nice, decent year for him. Is Quintez Cephas? You know, as a Badger, but he's another. But he's a big. But he's another Ring the big bell. Body. Ring the Quintez Cephas yeah, bell. I got it. Got it. We got Ty- Taylor Haneke in earlier, so that was good too. I was pretty. <laughs> I was. Uh, we're not going to all out. We got nine minds. Um, but it's. But with all those guys, it, it's they're all just. It, it's a certain type. There, and I see what they're doing. I don't think they're planning. They know what they are, but they're just going with. Hey, let's just be competent, and that's what Goff can give you. At least uh, he's going to at least get to one. Like he's not going to, uh, he's going to know enough when you do run the dropback stuff, and if they do bu- go a bunch of shotgun, and that probably comes from his days in college when he was at Cal because they ran like a true air raid. They, I think they called it the the bear raid uh, up there, <laughs> and yeah. it was it, it was. I mean, the offensive line was just water falling backwards. Like they really were just speed bumps. Like they were just taking charges basically. That was their offensive line blocking scheme. And they ran like 120 plays a game. It was awful to scout. Uh, but they would with Goff, though, I mean, he could just pound away at scene balls just all all game long. So it's like maybe run a little couple four vert concepts. You know, he's going to know the boot stuff pretty well because he ran a million reps of it the last few years. It, it's going to be there's going to be some confidence there. And that that's kind of what you want. It's kind of like what Teddy was with with the Panthers last year. But Goff is just paid uh, a little bit more <laughs> more than Teddy was. Um, you know, that's what you're, that's what they're going for there. At the idea of you owe thirty one million dollars or thirty point five million dollars in dead money next year to a handoff machine is is uh, hard to stomach for me. Wow. I mean, I and that's what they should do. And again, that's not an indictment of Jared Goff. That's what they should do on offense this year. But that's yeah. you anybody could have done that. Yeah. And I just don't understand why you needed to get Jared Goff back in that trade. It still was a little bit confusing to me. They could theoretically move on from him before next season. I mean, it's yeah, there's a fifteen point five million dollar roster bonus due in March, but I don't know who's going to take on $25.5 million of Jared Goff next year if, if they want to move on from that and figure out something yeah. else. So I don't know. It's it's still confusing to me, but I think that's what we're going to see. I think it's going to be a run-heavy system with a lot of play action, which we've seen Jared Goff be pretty good at that. I mean, the skill position yeah. players are not very good, but I think just having it be as structured as possible for him is necessary and probably the right approach. Yeah, it's going to be... It, Goff is going to be feel, feel at home. It's going to be like his rookie year, Jeff Fisher's last year. Say <laughs> that I mean, but a better, I think a better culture and a better, better offense and all better everything around him. But kind of same type of offense that he ran that one year under Jeff Fisher and the, and what they were running there. But that's he's going to feel at home. Some I formation stuff, 21, 12 personnel, pound that rock, baby. <laughs> all right, let's quick hits here, rapid fire rookies. Because we talked yeah. a lot about how these guys are scheme fits in their certain offenses, but Trevor Lawrence, that throw he made that's that went on the internet where it's a boot to the left, he's throwing the ball back to or boot right, throw the ball back to the left. Yeah, I think that's what you're going to see this year. Yeah, I think Daryl Bevel said it on this show. He said that play action is a way to protect your quarterback, it's to give him space as a young player, and I think that's what you're going to see a lot of with them. You're going to see, I assume, some RPOs sprinkled in to make him mm-hmm. comfortable with some of the Clemson stuff, but I think that the NFL things you're going to see are in that mold. Oh yeah, and, and the few clips I've seen, uh, they were running some, I think, a two-minute drill or something of that sort. It's oh, fan videos have been great, by the way. You guys are really yeah. getting good, really getting good with the landscape view and getting all twenty-two. It's better than the I've, all twenty-two at Soldier Field. I can tell you yeah, that right it now. Re- it really is. <laughs> that maybe that's it's good training for you. You're used to it. That, but it's the but the clips I've seen, like he even just he's such a natural thrower, just such a natural athlete. Like he will like miss. 
the right way already. Like he's throwing guys away from hits already. And it's like, he threw like an out route and it's like, he buried the guy. Like it was a completion. I think it's a Chenault. And of course somebody in the replies is highlight truth and going like, Oh, what was it? That was a poor pass from the number one pick. And it was like, no, that was an awesome pass. Cause he like saved the hit from the corner. It was like, he's already doing a little shit like that. That's what like the top Q- QBs do. So even, even with urban trying to do like a greatest hits thing with their personnel, um, really excited to watch Trevor Lawrence play this year. <laughs> Zach Wilson, I think we know what to expect. You know, yep. it's going to be that heavily schemed Shanahan offense where he's getting out on boots. I mean, and mm-hmm. it, they're going to try to attack the middle of the field in the same sort of way we've seen that offense run for the last several years. I think it's a good offense for any quarterback, especially for a young quarterback who we have not seen do a lot of navigating muddy pockets. Yeah. We did not see him do that at BYU. And I think trying to limit the amount of muddy pockets that guy has to play in is the right approach. And you can do that within this offense. Yeah. And you're going to see some beautiful deep balls, probably a couple of head scratchers where he's going to throw up a 50, 50 ball. That's, that's the good and bad of Zach Wilson. He's going to give let his guys make chances. So he's going to take some lumps early on, but I think there's going to be some like real exciting plays where he creates something and bombs away on something. So, um, yeah, I, I think he just has a little ways to go, I think mentally a little bit too, and just speeding up the clock from kind of what I've seen and heard. But it's going to be fun. I, I Like you said, I think that's the type of offense for a rookie to go into because they're going to they're gonna at least put him in you know pretty good situations, some of those concepts. All right, Trey Lance. Awesome. Start Week one starter, Trey Lance. I, I With Trey Lance, man, I mean, when we we talked about it, it's he's so much more cerebral than you would think a one-year starter from North North Dakota State would be at one one year and one game starter that he was at just not protection stuff. I mean it's gonna be so exciting. I I I can hear the sprinkling of the QB run stuff and you know all that jet and orbit motion that Shanahan's been doing the last couple of years. It's gonna like with it's almost gonna look like a service academy, I think at times. It was like, the it really most is. varied diverse run game in the NFL with Jimmy freaking Garoppolo as without the quarterback. a quarterback threat. Without a quarterback threat. <laughs> And now you get a guy that actually can hold up on hits, like seven to ten hits a game. Like that's gonna be really. And who's also, a powerful runner? Yeah, not just it has the body for it, but he is run a every powerful concept. downhill he, runner. He can legit run between the tackles. Like that's that's what some guys forget. Like when they're like, oh, he can run the QB run concepts. It's like he can run zone read where he gets to the edge. <laughs> you know, Trey Lance can run maybe a little, little inverted V or kind of stuff going on inside <laughs> inside the red zone. It, it's going to be so exciting. And how smart he is, I'm sure Shanahan's just loving it right now because, uh, I mean, just probably what they throw at him, he's asking for more. Uh, it's going to be so much fun watching that guy because, I mean, when he was at North Coast State, it's so funny. One of the knocks was some of his reads were simpler. It was like, oh, all he does is run play action and boot, and they do a good job of scheming guys up. And kind of sounds familiar to an offense right <laughs> uh, that's kind of what the 49ers sounds like so i think i think trey is going to fit in just fine uh as a rookie all right we're not going to talk about justin fields because i'm pretending that none of this is happening because it, it's taken me to a hopeful place that makes me genuinely concerned he had quite the day today i heard i heard it was uh i mean apparently he looks awesome i mean I and it's, you always you always have to take this shit with a block yep. of salt uh, it's the people watching these practices. I I don't know that much about football. I think I know a tiny bit. And when I'm at these practices, I can glean some things. You cannot process it in real time. No. Coaches can't process it in real time. Nope. They asked Matt Rule today what he thought about the left tackle play at practice, and he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> That's why he watched. And he film. wasn't trying to be a dick. He's nope. he's like I he's like I don't I don't There's know. Twenty two guys I, out there. <laughs> And, it's and it's, it's I think that is really important to understand. 
And so I'm sure Justin Fields looks good, but I'm really trying to pump the brakes here and not get ahead of myself. But I think we know what he adds to that offense or what he can add to that offense. I mean, the downfield element that he can bring, some of the speed that they've added, I just think that some of those, like, just the deep digs down, Robinson, mm-hmm. and just stuff that Mitchell Trubisky, I think Hayden Winks tweeted a, a graph yesterday about on-target throws from a clean pocket last season compared to uh, air yards per attempt. Mitchell Trubisky was the least uh, least accurate downfield passer in the NFL last year by a wide, wide margin. The Bears now have a guy who can place the ball in guys' hands 55 yards down the field. Yeah. Whatever the concerns about how twitchy some other aspects of his play are, that guy can launch the ball to every point on the field with accuracy. It, it just opens up your offense in a completely different way. And that, and it looks like they have no qualms running stuff that he's comfortable with because I've seen clips. That, again, that's what's so nice about these fan clips is I could actually see some of the concepts. They're running the stuff he ran at Ohio State. I mean, they're running 989. They're running Y cross plays that we've talked about on this podcast. So it's stuff that he knows. Like, I mean, they're common concepts, but the fact that they're leaning into it already, just in the five clips I can see, it's, it's, and also that ability to create, like, even if the O line's banged up, how it looks like right now his ability to create and his size, like the the clip that went viral, like he's breaking contain on that. The rusher goes inside. It doesn't matter that the, the alignment technically got beat. He just breaks contain and throw. And then that's where, and you just said the twitchiness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The elongated release. He just changed his arm angle, throws a sidearm and puts it right on a dart right there. It's like, that's the stuff that was awesome about him. He wasn't mechanical. It was just that that's just how he threw the ball. And that was, I think I had to take an I, ice bath after I watched that clip. I, I had to, I had to go for a walk and then just just sit in a tub of ice. It was pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, it's it's I'm I'm pretty excited. I I can't wait. He's gonna play what on Saturday. I, I'm pretty fired up to to watch watch him get out there and actually see some of these actual plays and see the whole thing as opposed to a fan clip. All right, thirty seconds on Mac Jones, who's playing on the TV right next to me right now, even though it's currently a commercial. He's no longer wearing number fifty. Way to go! That's uh, but, that's all that matters. We're just going yeah, in the right direction. That's it. Uh, I I had a coach uh, real quick. This while I know the story. I had a coach. Uh, I could say it was Paul Chris at at Pitt, and we had a guy that was getting in trouble at school, like being late and stuff like that. So, of course, the guy had the the player had the gall to ask for a number change. I think he uh, switched from uh, he switched from uh, receiver to DB, and he wanted to wear a single digit number. And Coach Chris hung, hung it over him. He goes, "Hey, here you go." So you're wearing, I'm going to give you number 99 and every day, every day you don't get in trouble. I'm going to lower your Jersey number by one number until you get to single digits. <laughs> and I just, I thought about that with Mac Jones, but it was so great. And the kid, I mean, he bought in, he bought in, like he, he got it down. Um, I think I left before he got it best, best. Like I think he was in the forties by the time I was, I was out of there, but I still think that was one of my favorites and yeah, kid red shirt. And that's how he got single digit number. But some of those clips I've seen at the cam, I know we're supposed to talk Mac Jones. Heavy play action, heavy play action, heavy play action, empty five verts, posts, deep corners, deep digs. It's like, look like they're going bombs away. <laughs> That's like the theme of the show, bombs away. I, I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm ready for NFL season, man. I, I can't wait. I, if, we, if this was the last preview show we got to do, I wouldn't mind it. I am so ready for the games <laughs> to start. And being at practice today with two teams practicing against each other, it, it only yeah. makes me more ready. I mean, just one of those things. It puts you right into game mode. But we still have... A little ways to go, my friend. Tomorrow, when people are listening to the show, it will be August 13th. So we still have about a month. And we have a bunch more stuff coming to you guys over the next month. But for now, 
that is all we have with our good buddy Nate Tice. Thanks a lot, bud. We will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Can't wait. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, now it's time for our chat with the Rams writer for The Athletic, Jordan Rodriguez. Please enjoy the chat I had with Jordan. Jordan, how are you? Doing well. I'm I'm pretty sweaty, Robert. I know we were both out of practice. As I think you came out, and it was the two hottest days of training camp when you came out to Rams camp. This is still better than the Southeast, where the just humid muck and, I mean, you know, all your days that you spent in Spartanburg covering the Panthers, that's what you were used to. I, I didn't need, like, a, any sort of skincare routine because you just sweat everything out. I could be, I could be, uh, I mean, I would never do this, of course, but I could be real hungover going to practice in the morning if one so <laughs> chose to be so and then you just sweat it out in five minutes and you're good uh that's not something i've heard you know something i have to worry i've heard (laughs) so this team i mean we talk a lot about on the show about this team and for good reason you know there's a reason that i think you do such a good job covering this team and there's so many things to chew on with this team it's because they're interesting and it's because some of the choices that they make are bold. They're outlier choices, whether it's the way that they distribute their resources or some of the things that they've tried schematically. And we talked about Sean a little bit on last week's show about how this is a big year for him with some of the choices they've made. Going to get Matthew Stafford, moving on from some of their coaching staff and having to retool that again. It feels like kind of a pivotal season because over the last, the first three years of the Sean McVay era, right? There are tweaks. Things are different, but for the most part, they're on the same trajectory. It's the same group of players. It's the same quarterback. Now, things are different. I mean, this is a new step in what this team is under Sean McVay, and I think it's worth watching. Yeah, you know, it's something that struck me about the Rams, and you and I have talked about this a lot, whether it's on this podcast or just in passing, like standing on the sidelines the last couple days. You know, this team kind of does a thing where, first of all, it's clearly not afraid to pivot. I mean, not only have they pivoted in terms of the trades they've made, some of the the way that they've changed direction of their team building model, um, even some of the small things that they've done, like recently pivoting to a new center. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, they're not afraid to introduce catalytic factors into their equation. And I think in part, um, you know, obviously that could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on whether or not you are winning games. Right now they are. So, you know, whether or not they will be in the future, I think that's the thing we're all waiting to see. But with Matthew Stafford, with some of the the personnel decisions they've been making, with the way that they've reshaped the way that they draft, the way that they scout, all of that, they have introduced catalytic factors into their process, into their equation with the belief that this makes us better because it forces us to figure it out. 
Yeah. And it forces us to... It's impossible to be static. It's yeah, impossible to right. be complacent. Yes. Exactly. And I think that's... The NFL, so many of these teams that we see, especially a league that tries to pull every team down to eight and eight every year, it's just designed that way. Complacency is the number one enemy, not just of teams, of coaches, of players. Complacency is the number one enemy and it's the thing they all fear. So how do you keep it from creeping in just by way of the fact that it exists and, and permeates and is waiting around the corner in a league that is designed to introduce it? Well, you have to introduce your own catalytic factors into the equation. So I think if we're talking about this on a philosophical standpoint, absolutely. Football, we're going to find out. So obviously the Matthew Stafford trade and the Matthew Stafford decision is the biggest of those factors. And you're sitting there at the end of last season if you're Sean McVay and you're looking at the way that Jared Goff played quarterback and you're coming to the conclusion of this just isn't good enough. We just can't get where we want to go. We're too easy to defend. There are too many areas of the field that are unavailable to us. And we've talked about it on the show a decent amount. You try to guess where teams are going with the moves they make in every offseason. And there are some teams who are just going to tell you. And it feels like that's what the Rams have done. By going to get Matthew Stafford, by going to get Deshaun Jackson, by drafting Tutu Atwell, they've shown you that they want to be more explosive and more dynamic on that side of the ball. Is there something more to it than that? Are there aspects of what they're going to do offensively that we're not thinking enough about? Or is it that simple? Is it saying, we got our big arm quarterback now, we got our fast receivers, we are going to push this thing in a way we couldn't over the last two years? Well, I think that's a huge part of it. And it obviously, schematically, will make an impact if they are able to stretch the field. You know, it it wasn't by their own preference that they went to sort of a small ball. Uh, they, They... It's a very modest offense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they started by design going toward the higher probability passing plays, which are shorter to the quarterback, shorter distance air yards. They did that by design because the quarterback was turning the football over, but also because teams are figuring out that they could clog up the middle and pressure the quarterback in um, different ways that would also continue to mess things up in that middle of the field where Robert Woods and Cooper Cup did their best work. So things got tighter and tighter toward the line of scrimmage. And those were two factors. And they also didn't have sort of a true deep threat. Like Deshaun Jackson is like the deep threat when he's, when he's healthy. So, you know, that's part of it for sure. Matthew Stafford loves to throw the ball downfield. That's part of it. But I think another thing that introduces maybe more layers that we don't always talk about on a daily basis is some of the things that I've been fortunate to see close up now that we're at a real quote unquote normal training camp situation and you can park it right by the red zone and watch (laughs) how the quarterback is manipulating the pocket, how he's resetting his launch angles. That's exactly right. How he is, um, as Jalen Ramsey puts it, throwing receivers open, how he is just getting one or 2% better, giving them one or 2% more space. And for guys like Cooper Cup, for guys like Robert Woods, for guys like Van Jefferson, that is all they need in order to have that more manageable working space. And then when you can open back up the middle of the field, whether it's by what they were hoping to do with their run game and Cam Akers, or by stretching the field with some of their vertical guys, Deshaun Jackson, Tutu Atwell, and Jacob Harris, the emerging tight end, you know, those are things that will only increase the amount of workable space in the middle. But Matthew Stafford also does that because he can keep a play alive, because he can extend plays with his eyes, with his arms. They're not going to ask him to do a ton of it with his feet, of course. He's done it in the past, but they're not going to be, you know, you know, running him on zone reads and things like that, to my knowledge. But he can keep things alive and and sort of help the play along and develop in another layer and another level that they, they didn't previously have. 
you don't think about him as a play extender, but he's one of the best improvisational, not off-platform necessarily, but weird arm angles, just making things happen. He's an improvisational thrower in the way that Jared Goff just typically wasn't. He had to operate within the structure of the offense, within the timing of the offense, to the point that you just couldn't put much on him. You couldn't ask him to do much outside of what the play told him to do. And I think that is the luxury of having a guy like Matthew Stafford is that Sean McVay, his grip on the offense got tighter and tighter and tighter over time because it needed to, because he didn't trust what his quarterback was going to do if he let that grip loose. Now you have a quarterback that if you loosen that grip, you still have faith that good things are going to happen. And as a play caller and as a coach, it's a monumental shift. It's a huge, huge difference in the thinking and the mindset that you can take into each individual game. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, if we turn it back on on Sean McVay as well, like it's almost like when uh, we're talking about quarterbacks who maybe were um, pl- asked to play outside themselves for a certain amount of time or, or facing some sort of on-field adversity for a certain amount of time and maybe develop like those habits, right? That you don't want, you're, you're less of a natural thrower. You feel ghosts, see ghosts, feel things behind you. You have issues with that mentally. I mean, I think there's a conversation to be had about flipping that onto the coach. When you're gripping that tightly, when you are constricting, 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 you're literally getting a migraine after games. Like you, what does that do to you in terms of your play calling? You can't be a free play caller. You cannot do the things that you think are best for your team. And of course, you're pressing in the same way players do. Yeah. and, And of course, we're talking about this in a vacuum. Like who's to say whether he will be right or wrong. However, you know, in terms of what that specific speaking within the constructs of that specific situation, um, that to me was what I felt from Sean McVay last year was, um, you know, you could almost feel the gears sort of cranking together in his head just and not in a, in a good way because it was, you know, what can I do? And I'm too constricted. And now it's just compounding, compounding, compounding. And I think that's when you started to hear some of the things about how their professional relationship was deteriorating behind the scenes when things like that comp- compound in a professional space. So I think when, you know, you flip it back onto to Matthew, what I'm most interested in is, you know, I, I now, you know, I, I've seen now what Matthew Stafford can do. I understand how he can stretch this offense. I understand how he can get the ball downfield, you know, almost three weeks in a row of seeing some of the things they're installing and designing and all of that. That's all well and good. What I am interested in is what happens in those moments where Matthew is improvising. Does Sean let go? Does McVeigh let go at that point? And what's the collaborative? You have to take a different approach. Yeah. Yeah, And what's the collaborative process of understanding each other on that level where he's got you and you've got him and you're seeing it through his eyes and he's seeing it through yours. That's what I'm, that's what I'm interested in because training camp is mostly scripted. So we don't know what yeah. we don't know yet. So looking at the offensive depth chart, obviously you've talked about this a lot. You've written about this a lot. The offensive line is the biggest question mark. Outside of running back, let, let's do that first. How do you think that that spot shakes out now that Cam Akers is hurt? I almost forget that he's not here anymore because those pre-training camp injuries or early training camp injuries, it's just easy to kind of throw them aside because like this is the team they're working with now. How do you think the running back spot shakes out and how do you think their mindset and plan has to change with Cam Akers no longer there? Yeah, well, Daryl Henderson is for sure the lead back yeah. in this offense now. Daryl Henderson's really, really talented, but you know has not consecutively put together 15 plus or over 15 carry shares per game um, since he was in high school, and he was sort of the the workhorse back in high school, and, and he he told us that straight up. And so 
this is not just about what he can do. We know what he can do. He's a great running back and he can run the types of things that they, you know, according to McVeigh, that he can run the types of things that they were gravitating toward with Cam Akers in terms of some of that power gap stuff. You have an offensive line coach with background and a lot of that stuff now. It just seems like the running game is going to be varied. And to know that they believe they can do the same thing with him that they could with Akers is interesting. Yeah. And again, like with this team, it's always like I will maybe believe it for sure. It's nice to say it. I'll believe it when I see it. Yep. Um, so that's another thing that I will believe when I see. But at the same time, you know, Daryl's looked explosive. He's looked great. Again, you know, we won't see him in the preseason. So I'm really interested in what these young running backs behind him can do. Xavier Jones, I hear good thing after good thing after good thing about what Xavier Jones is able to do. Um, and Jake Funk, I think, is maybe going to surprise a little people. I don't think he's going to be like a fantasy football darling, uh, which I don't personally, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not something that I'm personally concerned about. But at the same time, like, I think he will surprise some people. And he's kind of got like a little bit of a cult following on Twitter. Kind of. His name is Jake Funk. Yeah. How could he not? I'm like kind of afraid to explore that, but I do know it exists. Is there a name for it? Like the Funky Bunch? I think they're, I think they're work, workshopping titles, I, you know? I mean, that just, one's for free. Yeah, you guys can take that if you, you want it. Don't copyright that. They might want it. But, but yeah, so I think... The, the biggest thing about Daryl is making sure he stays available, right? Had some injury issues, uh, hamstring and ankle, both sides. So you want to make sure that you're not only maximizing his ability with the, the sort of snap count that you give him, but also his availability through a 17-game season. So I think um, you're not going to see necessarily committee, but you are going to see complementary running back play. Like I wouldn't go so far to say it'll be like an even, you know, running back by committee the way that they tried to do it last season. But with him as the lead back, I think you are going to see a, a complimentary carry share, especially from those two guys. And then the offensive line is the other big question, right? Because they didn't do anything to address it this offseason, which was kind of shocking. I think that you expected it. I expected it for them to at least add one piece at some point, even in the middle rounds of the draft. And it just didn't happen. Free agency in the draft goes by without them trying to bolster those spots. So if you're looking at those five spots right now, as it sits on the eve of training camp, they're literally tearing down camp around us as we're recording right now. That is what's happening right now. They're about to leave and go back to Thousand Oaks, but it's just really funny timing. So as they're tearing camp down around us, what would you say is the starting offensive line and how do you feel about it in this moment? Yeah, I'll probably call it the way they shifted it uh, three days ago, <laughs> which is they they moved Austin Corbett, who they opened the spring. Yeah, they opened technically free agency with Austin Corbett moving over to center uh, and then moving Bobby Evans up into right guard. Now, uh, once the pads went on it, against the Cowboys, it specifically in the scrimmage last Saturday, Brian Allen kind of started taking those lead share of center reps. And uh, I would say that he is trending in that direction to be the starting center. So I think, of course, you're going to see Father Time himself, Andrew Whitworth, just continue to... crushing in a vet day today. I just know. in he's, shorts and just looking like a king out there. He's just like the largest human being. I thought when I thought when I covered Julius Peppers that he was maybe the largest person I've ever seen, but I would love to see those two like stand next to each and other. And Havenstein's not small. He's I know. not a small he dude. He always surprises me with how large he is too. I mean, it's just so... It's so funny, like... I, I told you this when we were on the sidelines. So I was like, never do I feel more useless than when I watch a football practice. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> insane. Every single person out there is 10 times. 
is a 100 times the athlete you could ever hope to be. Even the guys that aren't going to make this roster. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But uh, sorry, we got carried away there. But um, but yeah, Andrew Whitworth and then David Edwards at left guard. I, w- I am going to say Brian Allen will probably be their starting center week one. You hear, um, listen to McVay today. Brian Allen is a superstar. Two days in a yeah. row. He is. And I talked with Brian a little bit after practice and he he's fired up. He's like, he's ready to go. The dude's tenacious. And then um, they're moving Austin Corbett back to right guard. Um, and I think that's also reflective. The the change is also reflective of the fact that they believe that Austin Corbett is the best right guard on their team. He's a guard. I mean, yeah. that's what he's been for his entire career. So yeah. if that's the best five that they think they have, that makes sense. And that's what this time is for. It's to experiment. I think a lot of teams went into the season doing that. They said, all right. We only have a limited amount of resources. We are going to trade multiple draft picks for Matthew Stafford. Our cap situation is a nightmare because of all the things we've had to do and cutting a $30 million quarterback, all of that stuff. Let's have five guys and figure out who the best five are. And that's what they've done and a lot of other teams are doing. That's what training camp is. On the defensive side of the ball, this is a fun experiment. I'm really interested to see how it goes. You have a new defensive coordinator in Raheem Morris. You have some carryover from Brandon Staley's staff from last year. And it does feel like they're going to try to carry over some of those ideas, which when your coordinator doesn't come from that place and you're trying to do something that someone else did, it can be dicey. So how would you describe and just kind of characterize how that experiment has gone? And would you say that's kind of what they're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I I don't lose much confidence in this defense. I think obviously if we're looking at year over year with any team, you're going to see regression when some somebody was that high up. Totally. Some of those statistics and like insane, especially against the pass, like some of those insane uh, numbers that they were able to put up last year in terms of limiting explosive passing plays and, and there's some of their ability on the run. Like uh, I would not be surprised if you see it at least zigzag a little bit through the first part of the year. They did lose a couple of really important guys. But with Raheem, something that has really um, been notable is the way that he has approached taking over this defensive unit. Because he didn't come in and say, hey, I've coached about every type of defense there is except this one, so we're going to do my thing because I'm the coordinator. Instead, he said, you guys were pretty damn good at what you did last year. You know the language. Uh, this defense is is the wave coming, you know, the massive wave coming over the NFL. We already have a year in advance of running it. Let's continue to do what we do well, and I will learn your language. And I think Raheem also, you know, it's not like the first time he's ever seeing it. You know, he's a, he's a student of the game, and he's like he's done just about everything and knows just about every once. So of course, he's studying this and been been kind of keeping track of what the, the Rams and his friend Sean McVay have been doing um, last season. And so I think that where things might differ a little bit is I, I'm, I think you might see a little bit more, um, you know, design pressure. You know, Brandon Staley didn't blitz a lot. They didn't really, it just wasn't really in their, in their scheme. More stunts. I mean, yeah, they're going to do some wonky right. stuff on third down. You're doing some stuff with your front mechanics and the ways that you're slanting certain guys and using yeah. Donald to attract attention, all that stuff. It was wonky, but it was wonky with four guys instead of five or six. Yeah, and I think, especially with the confidence that their inside linebackers are playing with uh, through camp this year, I think you are going to see a little bit more design pressure from a couple of those guys, and that's Raheem putting sort of his stamp on things because we know he he did a lot of that really creative stuff in Atlanta, even when they were losing and all of that. So What they did in the back half of last year was fun to watch with yeah. him and Jeff Obrick. I thought they did a lot of stuff that worked and was promising, and I'm curious to see what it looks like in practice here. Yeah, but I think that they um, 
last year, the Rams adopted a new language, and it is, as you and I have talked about a lot, it's a language that will become one of the most coveted in the league, and they have a year advantage of running it versus everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think that they see that very much as an advantage. Raheem definitely sees that as an advantage. So he's not trying to come out here and reinvent what Brandon Staley did. He will pull at some threads that maybe they see based on personnel because that's who he is. He's a very strong personnel guy and really connects and sees players where they're at. So I think you'll see it with specific players. Maybe he'll pull at the Kenny Young thread a little bit and Kenny Young will be the inside linebacker who's kind of that one when they go up to the the 5-1 or 6-1 or like he'll he'll be like that guy who's on the field for some of that design stuff and some of that really um, that key stuff that they had to often scheme around by using a crap load of safeties last year. I still think they love their safeties, but I do think that you'll start to see Raheem pull it, those types of threads um, without, you know, sort of giving up or forsaking what this language actually is. So if you're looking at that defensive personnel, what are the biggest changes between the team we saw at the end of last season that was the best defense in the NFL and the group that they're working with right now? Yeah, you know, they've Jordan Fuller, who, you know, everyone on this podcast who listens to this podcast knows that I have been high on Jordan Fuller and I'm like, number one, Jordan Fuller, he's he's awesome calling signals for the Rams and, um, you know, taking over for John Johnson. So the communication element and adjusting and taking on that responsibility in something that is really complex, um, that's going to be a difference. And then obviously you know, he is not, he, he's not the John Johnson player. He sometimes plays a little bit deeper. He navigates a little bit more of the back half and John Johnson was able to kind of move a little bit more inside the box. He was like helping with some of their, their run stuff against the run. So Taylor Rapp will take on that role in my opinion, this, you know, this year. And then instead of Troy Hill, who was a big player who would unlock Jalen Ramsey's versatility. And I always described it as like, there are two solar systems in this defense. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey is the sun within one, and everything in that secondary defensive backfield orbits around him. And Aaron Donald's obviously the other, and everything in that front seven orbits around what he's doing. So I think that you obviously need the gears within that little mobile that you pick up at at Target. You need the gears to make the dang thing go. Well, Terrell Burgess is one of those gears. He's like going to maybe, I think, be in the Troy Hill role minus playing outside corner, He'll be a guy who can unlock Jalen Ramsey's versatility because he can slot in the nickel when Jalen is not playing in that nickel or the star package, as they call it. But he also can be an extra safety in a lot of their extra defensive back packages. And if they get real desperate, because I'm a little worried about their depth behind their their starting guys at outside corner when Jalen is inside. um, I worry a little bit about that. Uh, But I think, you know, in a Desperate, desperate emergency. You know, Terrell, Bur- Terrell Burgess played a little corner in Utah, too. He's smaller than I thought he was. Not in a bad way. I just, I expect it for whatever reason in my mind, he was one of those guys who could play a little bit of money and play linebacker in certain situations, but that he's not like that. No. He actually is a smaller guy. He was stand, I was standing next to him today, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So he'll be, he'll, he has flexibility, but in a different way than I would expect him to have flexibility. Yeah, and he he's one of those guys, like, people describe him to me as... Um, he uses every bit of his length in terms of his wingspan, mm-hmm. in terms of the way that he gathers himself up in explosive plays and stretches for plays. He had this incredible play on a ball, Matthew Stafford ball, um, early in camp where you were like, is that guy's ankles eye level with me right now? Like, oh my God. And um, so I think while you won't see him in that, like, especially when they're scheming around some of that linebacker stuff, like some of that downhill extra DB stuff, that's like a Nick Scott could maybe do mm-hmm. that. Taylor Rapp certainly should live, you know, in 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 or around uh, the box because he's played so well there. And if you're scheming to your player's strengths, you certainly are trying to keep Taylor Rapp there. 
then Jordan Fuller is just going to kind of command. And I asked, I asked Sean McVay, like, are you comfortable with he's going to be at times the furthest player back on the field or, you know, one of two, of course, when they're playing those two high and all that. Are you comfortable with that, him being that far back and calling signals, especially with the crowd and, and things like that? And, and so far, so good. And, and Jordan Fuller has, according to Cooper Cup, done some really freaky things in practice. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting. And I think there's a learning curve there, obviously, with some of these young guys being asked to step up. Um, but they are very of themselves and very composed as as people. You see that every day. And so I think that that's going to be um, really fun to watch them grow and develop and, and continue to kind of get the second year of this education. Awesome. Jordan Fuller, Jordan Fuller Hive Assemble. That's what this podcast is all about. I know. I'm like the, the conductor on the Jordan Fuller. Although, uh, yeah, we had some Ohio State alum out here and they were like, no, we're the conductors <laughs> on the, the Jordan Fuller train. So, Well, another Jordan. Jordan, thank you very, very much for joining us today. It's always good to chat with you and uh, best luck with the rest of camp. Thanks for having me, Robert. All right, guys. That's all we got. Thank you so much to Jordan. Thank you so much to Nate. Please enjoy your weekend. We will be back next Tuesday with Lindsay. And I hope one of our other team writers, we have not finalized that yet, but we are going to try to make it happen. In the meantime, please go check out my story on Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you have not, very rarely do I pump up my writing on, on this podcast, but I did write something. And if you guys would read it, that would mean a lot to me. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic, which you can do as you click on that story. If you don't have a subscription, theathletic.com slash football show. You need one. You absolutely need one. It was fun today at practice. There were six athletic writers at the Colts practice today. It was me, our two Colts writers, Joe Person from who covers the Panthers, Mike Sando, and Sheil. And it was just a reminder of how much talent that doesn't include me, because I that I'm not in this conversation, is writing at the athletic every single day and the type of work that you guys are gonna get to read. Just watching those guys work today and the things they were getting, the people that they were talking to. The site is indispensable at this point in the calendar. As you prepare for fantasy drafts, as you get ready for the season, I'm telling you, you need a subscription if you do not have one. So please go grab that. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. That would also mean a lot to me. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you guys later. This was The Athletic Football Show.